We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. And today's a special pod because we get a special guest in. Literally, the last time we spoke with him, you guys told us it was one of your favorite podcasts we've done the entire offseason. We listened back. We were obviously there as it went on, and we agreed. It was incredible content. It was so focused around the draft, but now we're going to get this content focused around the actual Giants football that we've seen, that he's seen in practices that he's been at, that he's seen in the game film that he's watched, and the projection moving forward for this team as we head toward the opening day of the 2022 season. So without further ado, we're welcoming back David Syverson of our lads, and you've seen him on Big Blue Interactive where he's doing some of those practice reports. So, so Cy, how are you doing today, my friend? Fellas, how are we doing? We're a couple weeks out from the regular season, starting to get those goosebumps hanging up. I know a lot, a lot of work goes into these weeks coming up. I know you by you guys. You know, I see you guys are very active on Twitter. Nick, your breakdowns are awesome. Do a very good job with that. But it's all just kind of like streamlines and funnels to what we have coming up in a couple weeks. So great time of year and, and glad to be on with you guys again. For sure. And I think, Nick, how are you doing today, by the way, man? I want to shout out to you as well. Hey, Dan, Cy. Thank you so much. And Cy, thanks for joining us, man. We're going to talk some shop. Hopefully the New York Giants can stay healthy. We were talking about this pre-pod. It seems like every day there's a new injury or two. It's getting freaking ridiculous at this I point. Know. I mean, it's getting to a point now where you're watching live drills and you see a couple guys fall to the ground and you're not even really paying attention to what happened during the play. You're just hoping they all stand up without you know shaking a shoulder or limping off the field. Uh, it, that is what training camp is. And I'll tell you what, it's very different than what it was 20 years ago when these guys were doing two days up in Albany. But even that, I mean, you have to find that perfect line and the perfect line does not exist, but you're trying to find that line of, Hey, we got to get these guys ready for live football because week one counts as much as week, uh, week eight, week 18 now, I should say. Um, but you don't want to go into with half a roster and, and fill the, fill the IR up in September. So it's a hard line to draw, but. I think the Giants are handling it pretty well. You still have to, they're not shying from contact. You guys got to, they got to evaluate and they got to get these guys playing and you hope for the best. The good news on that front, at least, is that there hasn't been any major injuries yet, um, with the exception of hopefully not this Lemieux injury. We'll see if that lingers, just given what happened last year with that. But, you know, it does feel like every day something bad. Like even today, a sleeper who I like a lot, who had been really much better in the preseason than he had at the beginning of camp. He started with the third team. That's Ben Bredesen. He left the field yeah. and he got injured. So it's like, 
the O-line, it seems like they're all concentrated right now on the offensive line, which that's the troubling part for me. Yeah, it, it's funny. I've been taking all these notes on the offensive line every time I'm there, and and I'll even forget in the moment. Like, I'll look to my left, I'll watch the live <laughs> practice, and I'll look to my right, and there's four other offensive linemen that were either just signed or recently drafted on the backfield, you know, running in their red jerseys with the training staff. You know, you got Matt Pert, who, you know, hate him or love him, he, he's a better – swing tackle option than what's being marched out on the field right now. Uh, you have Feliciano, you have Jamil Douglas, you have all these guys that you signed this past off season thinking, Hey, we'll at least have a little bit more depth here coming up. You know, don't forget about Nick Gates who still has a little bit of ways to go in rehab, but I think he's going to see the field this year. And I, I think if everyone does come back healthy, and again, like you said, we haven't seen a serious uh, injury yet. So at some point we do expect all these guys back. I think that fact alone is going to provide a little bit more stability up front on the offensive line. And that's been the Achilles heel of this team for, for almost a decade now. And I think the Giants fans and, and everyone that follows them, that's the one thing I think you should be optimistic about. But these guys do have to get back on the field. Talking about optimism, Cy, I want to kind of talk about the New York Giants tackle situation right now. It seems like Andrew Thomas just early in training camp and a little bit we saw of him in preseason. He's carrying on the success that he had last season, which yep. was so drastically different than what we saw from his rookie season. But the one player I really want to ask you about is rookie Evan Neal. Mm -hmm. What have you seen from Evan Neal in training camp? Has he impressed you? Are you a little bit concerned with any of the faults that he has? Or do you think all of the noise is somewhat correctable? Yeah, so Evan Neal, he was my number one tackle heading out into the draft. And just to kind of uh, recycle that a little bit is back at this time last year, I had Evan Neal at the top of my tackle stack heading into the season. And, you know, my preseason stacks, they don't mean that much. It kind of just gives me a very rough estimate of where I think they're going to end up. But again, the tape always rules all and the medicals that come out later in the year. But Evan Neal... He was someone that I projected to finish in my elite tier. And those guys in any given class, there's only a couple that, that I really put in that like all pro projected. But his tape in 2021, it was not elite. It just wasn't. And there's a lot of great traits that Evan Neal brings to the table. But the issues that I'm seeing at camp right now are exactly what I saw on tape at Alabama. And if you want to keep this as simple as possible, is balance balance and body control it doesn't look natural to him right now and there's a few reasons why you would see that at practice it's and and i have a few for you one you're going from college to the nfl i don't care if it's the sec to the nfl it's still a different level of speed uh it's a different level of complexity as well he's also facing off a defensive coordinator in wink martindale in practice right now that he does not hold anything back at this point. I wouldn't be surprised that if at some point Dable asked him to dial it back a notch. I mean, he is as complex as you're going to find at the point of attack. So you combine that mental complexity, decision-making in combination with the physical speed upgrade that, that Neil is seeing on a play-to-play basis, it is common to see a rookie like that fall off balance and kind of not have his feet and hands in sync with each other. My only fear, if you want to be pessimistic here, is this is what I saw on tape last year at Alabama, is, you know, out of 10 plays, you'd see three or four of them where he just didn't always have his feet underneath him. He would hinge at the hip, and all of a sudden he's showing his numbers and his face mask to the ground without being in contact with the defender. That's the issue. The positive with him, though, is when he does lock you up and he does have that balance, he is not movable. He cannot be, he's a boulder. I mean, you cannot bull rush him. And, and when you take that thing, when you take that option off the, 
uh, off the table for a pass rusher, life gets a lot easier, you know, because all you really have to focus about focus on is lateral movement left to right, where Evan Neal, he's not going to be pushed back. So I think that's the positive here. Another thing you can really consider with it is this. Evan Neal played guard as a freshman at Alabama. Then he played right tackle the next year. Then he played left tackle the next year. Now he's back to right tackle again. All right. So next year at this time will be the first time since high school that he's played the same position two years in a row. All right. So I think that there's some skill there that can be acquired by mere repetition. And he's just, and and right now it's hard to watch this in, in practice. They just don't get a lot of reps. I don't know if you guys have been to practice, but it's just not a lot of reps. I mean, you're looking at 20 to 25 live plays uh, per practice. It used to be a lot more. Um, so I bring all that up because I think Evan Neal will be fine. I don't think we need to talk about that yet. If he really struggles this year, it's another discussion. But I do think Giants fans should not get discouraged and maybe even borderline prepare themselves for for some big bumps in the road. And there are a lot of good tackles in the NFL that had a rough rookie season. I want to talk a little more specifically about this because you mentioned I saw a really interesting ac- interaction with you, Sai, on Twitter. It started with a breakdown from a former NFL player, Chris Long, about how Evan Neal looked a little top heavy. And he mentioned within that breakdown that that could actually impact him on bull rushes. So I wanted to get your take on that because you just mentioned he should be fine in that regard. And then you said something that I thought was even more interesting, which was he can go one of two routes. Well, you first said it might be an issue in 2022, but he can go one of two routes. When you're this type of prospect, you can either go the Andrews Pete route, which is you kind of can't fix this top heaviness, this balance issue, and yep. you end up having to move to guard. Or you go the Cream Kenzie route, which all Giants fans, I think, want, and you yep. fix that and you become the boulder at right tackle. What do you think? Uh, I actually asked you a question, too, so I want to on Twitter that that I wanted to go over now on the pod if you do have yeah. a moment. At what point did you feel like Cream McKenzie was able to fix that? So what kind of timeline could maybe Giants fans expect in that regard? I think Kareem McKenzie became Kareem McKenzie after his second year in the NFL. His first year, I believe, he did not start. I don't think he saw the field much as as a rookie. And that's another difference. And he was a third rounder. Remember that out of Penn State. And you had so he didn't see the field much as a rookie. His second year, I think you saw a lot of these ones. He was always a dominant run blocker. Uh, that and I think that's what you're going to see out of Neil too. I think that's another big, big difference that you'll see. I've seen that at practice. I saw that on tape. Because again, there's a little less skill associated with run blocking. Um, you get your hands on, you keep your feet moving, and you move guys. And that's what Evan Neal is going to specialize in. I think you'll see a similarity there between him and Kareem McKenzie as a young player in the NFL. But where Kareem McKenzie started to take the the, the jump was his third year in the league because I know he had two really solid years with the Jets. And then in that fourth year, that's when you knew, okay, this guy's going to leave next year in free agency. And that's when the Giants scooped him up. And I think he even got his his game brought to another level as a Giant in years five, six, seven. Uh, and so I think that you're looking at a long-term project with Neil. What I like about him is that he has his head in the right spot. You know that he's going to work his butt off. You know that he's not going to get discouraged to the point where he gives up. You also know he's not going to get see some progress and start to get a little bit uh, too comfortable right? Where good times lead to weak men. I don't think you're going to see that with Evan Neal. You do see that around the league a lot. Um, I think you see on the Giants right now with Kenny Galladay, you know, you get paid, you get comfortable, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So I think, and to answer your question, I think Evan Neal is going to just be on a very slow ascent, maybe even slower than Andrew Thomas. But by year three, I think that you're going to start to see, all right, this is a guy that's going to be considered one of the top 10 right tackles in football. So to transition to 
a very controversial figure in the New York Giants offense, Daniel Jones. Mm. You've been at several practices, Cy, and Daniel Jones, by a lot of accounts, have he hasn't really looked all that impressive adapting to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka's offense. So I have to ask you, what's your honest opinion on Daniel Jones heading into the season? And then I'll probably ask you some follow-up questions about somebody else named Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones. So I, I always say take uh, what I say with a grain of salt in this regard is I don't get to watch the tape. You know, there's I actually think you get a lot more out of watching the All-22 tape than watching live action in this, in this on this subject. Uh, but with that said, compared to other training camps that I've watched, both with the Giants and other teams, Daniel Jones in the offense, I cannot believe how many times he drops back and he doesn't get the ball out in, you know, if you want to use the, the objective two and a half second marker, that's usually the marker that you want to get the ball out um, on average, right? The amount of times that he doesn't get the ball out in that time, then he's scrambling and making these five yard runs to the sideline um, in a practice where you're trying to develop the passing game. It's amazing how often it happens. And is it the receivers not getting it open? Uh, is it Jones not processing information quickly enough? I think that's really what you need the tape for. Um, this is the time of year where you want to make these kind of mistakes, uh, but you also want to see improvement over over these over the you know four to five weeks of preseason slash training camp football. And from my perspective, I just haven't seen it. I mean, every practice you throw the ball and. A, you're really rarely getting the ball uh, on target. He's he's high a lot. He's been missing guys um, left and right. He's getting balls batted up in the air. The Giants defense is coming away with the ball and interceptions almost, you know, every other series, I'd say, on average. And, you know, it's not that the turnovers are discouraging you so much. It's the lack of, you know, quickness and confidence in going through reads and getting the ball out. And if you read my scouting report from Daniel Jones when he came out of Duke, was that was the biggest red flag is it just never seemed like he was completely comfortable making the reads and getting the ball out. In the NFL, you have to anticipate throws. You can't react and then throw the ball. It's just too fast of a game, and the defenses are too complex. And that's just something I have not seen Jones do in his career to this point. And that notion is only being strengthened in training camp so far. It's the same thing that Dan and I, we talk about a lot on the podcast, and the Giants brought in a player named Tyrod Taylor, who is a yep. significant upgrade over Mike Glennon and an upgrade yep. over, I would even say, Colt McCoy from the 2020 season. What have you seen from Tyrod Taylor? And do you think there is a realistic shot that he could take snaps away from Daniel Jones? So this is the biggest difference I see. And I'll answer the question, I promise, in regards to that second part. The biggest difference I've, I see between Tyrod and Daniel is how quickly he gets rid of the ball. It's almost as if Tyrod's arm looks more lot like look looks like it's stronger, more powerful, has more zip, but he doesn't. Jones has a better yeah. arm. But yes. Tyrod gets it out so fast and so quickly. And he does, you know, Tyrod's always been a very inconsistent uh, passer of the football when it comes to ball placement. But he he's not a guy that second guesses himself. He's a very confident passer. And I'll tell you what. The guy's above 500 as a career starting NFL. He has not been on a lot of good teams. The first year he took over a starting role, Buffalo made the playoffs. Tyrod made the made the Pro Bowl. Now that was 2015, and now you know that's ages ago in the NFL. But I bring that up because he's proven he can do it. He's proven he can be a winning quarterback, all right, on a team that is not that good. Okay, um, it also looks like he's picking this offense up a lot quicker than Daniel Jones is, and. 
you know, is the true upside of Daniel Jones higher than Tyrod Taylor? Yes. Is the uh, is Daniel Jones a lot younger and probably deserves a shot over Tyrod Taylor? Absolutely. There's no disputing that. There's no arguing it. My my question, and I hope this doesn't happen for the sake of the Giants fans and Brian Dable and Daniel Jones. If this team is is one and four after the first five games, and Jones is still looking like he's just you know deer in the headlights, can't find the open guy, and when he does, it's not always on target. Do you give Tyrod a shot, knowing that he's not your future? But the team did sign him to a two-year deal, and the general manager of the Giants does have a relationship with Tyrod. So I, I think that that's and that, you know they brought him in from Buffalo. I think Dable went to Buffalo after Tyrod left, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Sean was there when. Um, when when, Ty, when Taylor was there in that final year, and not that that matters too much, but there is there is something to be said with players slash decision makers and having previous experience. I mean, who's the one guy? The what team did the Giants just sign the cornerback from? The the newest corner on the Giants is from Buffalo, right? There's a relationship there. They know these guys, right? So I, I think that. Should there be a real quarterback competition right now? No, there should not be a quarterback competition right now because I think the biggest job the Giants, the biggest question the Giants need to solve this year is Dan, is Daniel Jones your future? I think there's a ninety percent shot that's not the that's not the case, but he does deserve an opportunity in this offense uh, before he gets paid next year. Yeah, you nailed it. And there's a few important things I want to kind of maybe unpack a little bit more. Because I remember like three months ago on a podcast, we were breaking down the team and I did pose the question of, you know, does Taylor give the Giants a better chance to win? And everybody thought it was absolutely crazy. But and I understand why it's crazy from a ball like arm talent standpoint. I do think Jones is better arm talent, like you said. And I think overall the ceiling is better ball placement, though. I think like you mentioned, a really interesting takeaway that I want to go over again, which I said from what he's seen in practices. Jones has been high on ball placement and ball placement has been an issue for Jones since his rookie season. You can, you can use the excuse of Jason Garrett's offense, the offensive line, yada, yada, all that stuff. But from an actual just metric standpoint, the ball placement hasn't been as good except for the times when he has been able to throw from like a balanced base with those shoulders squared. And, and, and my biggest thing here is what you said with, it just feels like Taylor's a lot more comfortable in his offense. And why should he be? It's not like he's played within this offense before. He hasn't played with Dable. He hasn't played with Kafka. Why is that the question? Maybe it's natural. Maybe it's just year four. Jones is, if this was year two with Jones and we were like, all right, you know what? He's learning a brand new system. He hasn't seen much, but it's year four. He came from a very basic system at Duke. And at this point, maybe he's just not going to be the guy that's going to be comfortable getting the ball out quickly and confidently. And like you said, Taylor has had more experience and he's seen a lot more in the NFL. So yeah. I wonder if that alone gives him a better chance. Cause how much of playing quarterback is just having confidence and getting the ball out quick. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's, that that's why breaking down the quarterback and scouting quarterbacks is so difficult unless you can really get in a room with guys and, and their coaching staff. And um, that that's where, that's where you really get to know a quarterback. Every, anyone can watch tape and say, this guy can play, this guy can't play. But the mental side of it is is over 80% of playing quarterback, right? That's why I don't really care about, you know, if they have Lamar Jackson speed or Josh Allen arm strength. Like, that's, that's great to have, but it's got to be secondary to what's going on between the ears. And, you know, we can't sit here and, and say Daniel Jones is not intelligent enough or not smart enough. That's, that's a different conversation, right? The conversation is, can he process – the, in all the information that a quarterback needs to pre and immediately post snap and then execute physically. And you cannot make the argument that he's done it so far. I think what the argument for him is that it's unknown. Uh, you kind of know what Taylor is right now by this point in his career. You know he's not going to come out of nowhere 
and lead the Giants to, you know, a double digit win season. Right. And I think that they're, you're just holding out hope that Jones can be that guy. And that's why that's the purpose of the rookie contracts. Right. That's why you decline the fifth year option. I am a big fan of every quarterback getting into their fourth year after being drafted in the first round and letting and then making the decision at that point. Um, ideally, you know, after three years, you can make that educated decision on the fifth year option. But I think I do think they all deserve four years um, unless it completely blows up in either direction. Um, and so I, I think that it's the unknown that gives Jones the benefit of the doubt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. Odds Trader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. Odds Trader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. I wanted to quickly ask you about another player who is on this final year with the New York Giants, possibly, and that is Saquon Barkley. There's a lot of reports coming out of camp that he looks fantastic. He has his explosiveness and his quickness back. And I know there's not a lot of contact in practice, but I did want to get your opinion. Does he look that explosive? And do you expect big things from Saquon Barkley in this offense? He looks like the quickest, most agile and fastest player on the field, offense and defense, and not even close. And I'm, and I'm taught, this is coming from someone that is overly impressed by Xavier McKinney, who I think is in line for a huge, the giants, um, but when those two get in the open field together, Barkley beats them every time. And, you know, it, it is hard to gauge running backs when the defense gets yelled at every single time that someone ends up on the ground. And, you know, Barkley's biggest issue from my outsider's perspective has been, you know, since the injuries have started to pile up with him, the aggression in which he runs with has changed. I don't want to call him soft. I do think he's always run behind his pads. But I think there's a little bit of um, – kind of self-protection mode, self-preservation mode in the style in which he's run over the past year to year and a half. And if he can cut that out, if that's more of, hey, that was just him recovering from the ACL and then the the freak ankle last year, 
Uh, I think Barkley is in line for a huge year, huge year passing game and running game. I think the running back options they have behind Barkley are better than what they've had in the previous years. And what I think that will do is allow guys like Antonio Williams, maybe even Brightwell and Breda to kind of take a load off the inside running and let Barkley get a few more looks out in space as a route runner or uh, just an outside zone runner, which I think that's that's his best role. And I just don't think the Giants have done it enough with him since he's been drafted. But yes, to answer your question, Nick, uh, I've been to a few camps with Barkley. This is by far the best I've seen him move. Well, that's really good news for Giants fans, and I think you're spot on with that. And I'm interested to see, for me with Barkley, I think you brought up an excellent point that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is, is he the same aggressive style runner he was back in that breakout season? and Or can he be? And I think the answer is he can be. He just has to regain his confidence. But one thing that I always feel, that I feel like uh, is less of an, or more of an unknown with Barkley, and he talked a little bit about this today at the presser, was he's t- sick and tired of, of uh, you know, analysts saying he dances behind the line of scrimmage. I don't know if I would necessarily call it dancing. That's not like the word I would use. What I've always been concerned about with Barkley and me and Nick have discussed this at length is just his overall mental processing. Like Nick did an excellent breakdown of Antonio Williams in his first preseason game of the Giants. And I know he's playing with the third stringers against the third string Patriots, whatever it is. But in his breakdown, he showed some of the excellent advanced processing that Williams does on a down to down basis to create hole or to, to go behind, you know, to figure out what the right hole is to pick the right situation, to set up his blockers. That's something I feel like hasn't been as present in Barkley's game. Do you feel like that's something that can take maybe flight in his fourth area or, you know, in his fifth season in the NFL? Uh, It's tough. I think that's something, you know, we call it vision, right? I I think it's something you don't have or you do. Um, By this point, I don't see Barkley making progress in that department. I don't think it means it's the end for him um, at all. That's his game. I mean, the commanders are dealing with something similar with Antonio Gibson. Um, I bet you're going to see the rookie Brian Robinson out carry him this year um, because something that you just don't see with Gibson, this is a former receiver that turned into a running back at Memphis, is he's just he's running into the wrong lanes over and over. And I think Barkley's issue is not necessarily that he's run soft or that he's dancing. I mean, he ran behind a terrible offensive line. But I think that Barkley's issue is he doesn't always – react to what the defense gives him. I think he kind of wants to, you know, Barkley has this vision of, I want to do this on this play rather than what react to what the defense puts in front of him. And when the, when the lane that he wants to run to is not there, um, he doesn't put his head down and just get those two yards. You know, he wants to dance and run to the outside. He creates negative plays, by the way, that running style. That's one thing in Ezekiel Elliott's prime that I always appreciated about his game. You never saw him take a loss. It was either one or two yards, or it would break uh, break off into a bigger gain. And I think Barkley just needs to have a little bit more downhill approach to his inside running. And if he wants to dance around a little bit, I would wait till he gets gets into space. But what do I know? But uh, that you know that that's just why I, I think Barkley. That's the biggest shortcoming shortcoming of his game is that he doesn't react very well to what the defense puts in front of him. Carl Banks recently called Kenny Galladay an enigma, mm-hmm. and there has just been uh, just a ton of negativity surrounding Kenny Galladay. Si, what's your overall assessment on what's going on with this seventy-two million dollar receiver? I mean, I you just can't believe it. the Giants are being paid. The Giants receivers are being paid more money than any group of wide receivers. It's amazing. I mean, if you think about it that Crazy. way, you know we don't want to, you know, step on Dave Gettleman while he's down, but. 
that and the Nate Solder signing, I think, really put the nail in the coffin. If you had to really point to a couple moves, I think that more than anything, more than any draft decisions they made, those two signings really, because not only are you not upgrading those positions, but you're also putting a severe handicap on spending elsewhere. In regards to Galladay, he just, to be as simple as possible, he can't separate from anybody. And I, I think everything that needs to be thrown at him target-wise is – you know, your typical 50-50 ball, or you have to manufacture him getting open, whether it's through underneath pick routes, whether it's a quick slant, you know, dare even say a, a wide receiver screen, which I'm not even sure he can do much with because he's not, he's never really been a, a yard after catch guy. Right. Look at what, where he made his money with Matthew Stafford and why he got paid that contract and why some of us even got excited was the ability to be a downfield threat. And you know, uh, you just haven't seen it. You, you're never when you watch corners defend him. Nobody is afraid of getting burned deep by him. So they just get up into his face, and it's really hard to separate from a situation like that. I think the best outside receivers in the NFL they scare you enough down the field that you can't be overly aggressive at the point of attack. He right. is big, he is strong, he is physical. He can wear, he can win his fa- fair share of contested catches, but. I just, if I'm a quarterback, I'm not confident throwing him the ball in that kind of situation. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I, we were talking with, I think, Eric Crocker in the pre-draft process, Nick, and he was talking about, or this was two years ago with Devontae Smith, who he loved. And that was it. I mean, you, he talked about how the corners have to play him a certain way because they're afraid to get burned on the vertical. If that's yep. not happening with Galladay, then like you said, I don't know what else he can offer at this point. You can manufacture like RPO type slants and in in breakers that are like, and even last year, like he made some, he made some decent headway on, on kind of that, the play action seven step drops where Jones throws that kind of intermediate deep in. But you know, other than that, it's like Jones is not, Jones is not Matthew Stafford. He's never going to be, you need a specific type of velocity on your pass to throw those 50, 50 balls on a consistent basis at, at the, you know, so it sucks to hear, but I wonder if a player like I wonder at what point do you think? And just this is kind of taking a more thirty thousand foot view side. Do you think the coaches say, "Look, we don't care what the cost of these players are. You know, we don't care what the former GM who's not even with the team anymore allocated to this receiver." A player like Colin Johnson or Richie James who are having great camps, or even you know when Sterling Shepard comes back, we need to get those guys on the field over a Galladay. At what point does that happen? That that's a great question. That'll be something fascinating to keep track of because right now, if you took off the jersey numbers of right. Kenny, Colin Johnson in practice, Colin Johnson's the guy you want. You know, he just has he's he's got a little bit more snap at the top of his route. I think he's more aggressive and wants it more when it comes to actually attacking the football. I think he has a little bit more juice when he goes for the ball. He gets the ball at the apex of his leap, where Galladay just seems like his timing and. His timing seems off as a route runner and when he attacks the ball, where I think Colin Johnson, he's probably been the most targeted receiver in camp by, you know, definitely by Tyrod. But I think when he does go with the ones, Jones looks his way often as well. The biggest play that I saw, what day was it? I think I was there. It was Monday, I believe. The best ball I saw Jones throw was to Johnson. It was a great play. Um, and you know, so I think he is getting enough action with the ones that I think that thought is in the giant head. Now, when do they make that move again? You're going to go into it, giving Galladay the benefit of that because of what you're paying him, but they didn't make that decision on to pay him. I'd be shocked if he's wearing a giant's uniform next year. Um, so I think by mid season, if you're still seeing the same thing with Galladay, I think Johnson takes over that role. It's really interesting stuff there, Cy. And, uh, we want to be cognizant of your time. Yeah. So we, 
I want to ask you about Wink Martindale's pressure packages. How excited are you to break down the exotic nature of what that dude provides a defense? It's going to be a ton of work (laughs) because it is so exotic. It's going to be so back and forth, but I have not been this excited about a Giants defense just from, you know, like I remove myself as a fan usually during this time of year. Uh, But there's always that kind of like that, that thought in the back of your head. I always want to see the Giants do well. And I, I have not been this excited from not even from the fan perspective, just the schematic and personnel standpoint of watching the Giants defense. If there is one glimmer of hope other than being in the NFC, which is light years behind the AFC, right? It's the Giants defense. And I don't want to throw out, they could be top five, they could be top this, but there are there are legitimate, really good players at all three levels. And I think there's a little bit more depth than they also have had up front in p- recent years. I mean, I yes. started making my 53-man roster for the Giants. There's going to be some quality players cut loose. And when's the last time you've seen that happen with this, especially on defense, right? Like you cut guys, like, oh, I knew that guy was going to get cut. He's not going to get picked up by anyone. There are players on this team that will get cut when the rosters get cut down and other teams will bring them in. Um, But they also have like the superstar, I would say, when I say superstar, top five at your position potential with Leonard Williams, Xavier McKinney, and you have to be excited about the two young pass rushers on the edge. You know, Um, we, we talked about Thibodeau, I know, last time we were on and, you know, I think there's going to be some high risk, high reward with him, similar to Evan Neal. But there are there have been stretches in live practice where Thibodeau has not looked blockable, but has not been blocked by Evan Neal or Andrew Thomas. Um, I think there's going to be a little bit of growing pains with his power output. Like, you know how we saw Aziz Ojolari last year? He would disappear for stretches. You would remember that? I think you're yep. going to see that with Thibodeau a little bit as well. But when he's on, there are a lot of different ways he can win. And there's some there's, there are some pass rush skill sets that he has with his hands that you don't see guys usually develop until their second or third year. And the fact that he already has some of that down, I've seen the coaches talk about it as well. It's going to be an exciting group if they can stay healthy. And that is, you know, this can be debated, right? If you want to build a team from scratch, what side of the ball do you start on? You always have to get the quarterback. We know that, but the defense keeps games close, you know, and I think that's a nice a nice thought the Giants can have on the back burner every single week is that, hey, we're we're not going to be down, you know, 27-3 at the end of the second quarter. This defense is too good. I think more pressure is going to be on the the corners, Adoray uh, Jackson and, and Aaron Robinson, who have both looked solid so far, but they're not exactly going against uh, the greatest group of receivers in practice. We have a few more minutes here, and I want to get wrap up with your thoughts and your expectations and what you're looking for in the preseason game. But real quick before we do that, I do want to get your take on what you saw and what your thoughts are on the Giants inside back or the stack backer position. Because for me, this is a big one for me. I'm, I hate to say it. I know I've, it seems harsh, but I'm waiting for the day where Tate Crowder gets fewer snaps on this defense. He's just not my guy. And I've seen yeah. it too much over too large a sample size. But on the flip side, there were two exciting young backers in the la- in the first preseason game who showed out in a lot of ways in Micah McFadden and Darren Beavers. So what are your thoughts on that situation and maybe uh, what you're looking forward to, I guess, in these next few preseason games? Yeah, so I, I think you're going to see a lot of nickel and dime out of this defense overall this year, um, some of the more complex looks. I don't know how many times we're going to see three linebackers on the field, um, but I think, you know, Blake Martinez has one spot locked down. Are they going to limit his snaps a little bit? Maybe, but, you know, Darren Beavers, I think is going to be a guy that uh, – 
I remember talking about him being the biggest surprise of day three for the Giants. I was shocked that the Giants got him on day three uh, as late as they did. He's already getting snaps and looks with the ones over Tate Crowder. They're kind of, they've been going back and forth a little bit. Different skill sets. I think Crowder has a little bit more twist, a little bit more speed. Uh, but Beavers has a much better feel for the game. He's more physical. And I think that he brings more versatility to the option, uh, to the table. He can rush the passer. He did start off as a defensive end at UConn before transferring to Cincinnati. And even at Cincinnati, he saw a lot of snaps as an outside pass rusher on passing downs. And Martindale loves that. You know, he loves having guys on the field where, you know, he's going to confuse the opposing offense because you don't know where Darren Beavers is going to line up as an edge rusher, or as an inside sack linebacker. He could do both equally well. Um, Micah McFadden, I think he's a little behind, but he is everywhere. He is always around the football. And that's always a good sign to start. He's a little bit smaller. I don't think he's as effective with his hands yet. And that's a big thing with Martindale. He wants the linebackers to, to keep blockers away from them, to be fast, powerful, and effective with handwork. Uh, but he plays so low to the ground. And I mean, you rarely see a running play in these team uh, second and third string offenses without Mike McFadden ending up at the ball. He's in, that's whenever you see that, just keep an eye on those guys because they eventually find their way to the football. They eventually, eventually find their way to the starting lineup. I mean, right now, I mean, you're looking at Martinez probably not being here next year. Um, if you want to go future depth chart looks, I think Beavers and McFadden are likely going to be the starting inside linebackers in this scheme next year. And to get that on day three and get get that in year two of these guys, their respective contracts, that's a big deal. You're damn right it is. All right, let's wrap this thing up because we want to give you some time to get to your actual duties today. Give me just a few thoughts on what you're looking forward to in this next preseason game against the Bengals on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, this offensive line, I think you know what we're getting. We, I think we all know what we're going to get on the outside. I think whoever plays center, I think Feliciano will be fine. I think they're just being a little careful with him in practice right now. Not sure what happened with Bredesen's elbow or shoulder today. We'll see with that. But the, the, the and Glowinski has been rock solid as we expected at right guard. That left guard spot, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen if Shane Lemieux is out. Um, I think Ezidu is going to be out for the game. You guys might know more than me, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be out for the game. So Max Garcia, under the radar signing, some people got excited because they saw, oh, he used to start for Arizona. He started because guys started to get hurt. Um, he, he's been very underwhelming at, at, in camp so far, to put it kindly. And I, I would be really nervous if he was a starting guard, but I do want to see him in live action to see if he can turn that notion around in my head a little bit. Um, so that's one thing I'm just kind of see where, where does that left guard, what does that left guard spot produce? Um, I also want to see a little bit more of the tight end Bellinger. I mean, he's starting because there's no one else next to him. So he's going to be a big part of this offense. And I think he's a pretty solid blocker on the move. I don't think he's very good at the point of attack yet. Most rookie tight ends are not, but this is what we've dealt with, with uh, Evan Engram over the past few years. Decent on the move, terrible in the trenches. I think Bellinger has just more size and has a little bit more desire to be a contributor as a run blocker. So I'd like to see – this is an offense I do see expect to see a lot of running, probably more than the league average. Um, but in, in order to do that, the tight end needs to get his job done. So I want to see Bellinger kind of take a step up there against a pretty formidable front in Cincinnati. Uh, a lot of stout run defenders uh, in that front seven, first and second string. Um, last thing I'm looking for is I want to see – the, 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 the cornerbacks continue to – I mean, Darnay Holmes is probably one of the stars of training camp, uh, but I want to see Adoree Jackson and, and Adore Jackson and Aaron Robinson lock guys down. Aaron Robinson got beat up a little bit against New England. I'd love to see him take control. I don't know what Cincinnati's plan is with the receivers. 
Uh, but I'd love to see Robinson get a few looks at some of their top guys uh, and see how he responds because I think that's going to be a huge deal. The corners in this scheme are really important. they got to be able to lock guys up on an island um, all over the field. Love it, Cy. Thank you so much for joining us on the Big Blue Banter podcast again. For those who don't know, and you really should, you can follow Cy over on Twitter at at rlads underscore sy. He's been doing some great stuff over there. He's been doing some projections for teams around the NFL that I find fun. And he's been getting more active. His boss said he needs to get more active. He's doing a little <laughs> bit better at job of that. Still yeah. got a little ways to go, I think, yeah. <laughs> as far as be, uh, just interaction on Giants Twitter. But he's also providing camp reports for Big Blue Interactive and other analysis probably to come there. That's where you most likely know him from. And also, look, he wanted to say this, but I'm saying this for my own for my own end. If I need to know where a player is or how a depth chart's shaking out, I always go to RLEDs. They have literally the best depth charts in the game. You go to the team sites, they're somehow worse than the RLEDs. I don't know. I've never known how or why this is the case, but it's the truth. They're somehow worse. So check out all you really need to do is if you're looking for a team, the Giants, go Giants, depth chart, RLEDs, and Google. Boom, you're there. It's a it's a page I've had bookmarked for like five years now. So great stuff again, Side. Thanks for joining us, and we're looking forward to the season, as I'm sure you are as well. Thanks, Charles. We'll talk soon for sure.